Around this time of year, the weather begins to cool off and the leaves begin to change colors. And it often reminds me of a, a great classic, heartwarming, but also mixed with this suspense kind of thriller movie uh, that happens, usually comes on around this time of year. And it's, it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, right? And the story kind of revolves around the character of Linus and how he has this unwavering determination uh, to see the great pumpkin. And the great pumpkin is just this mythical feature uh, figure that he believes in despite everybody else's claim that this is not real, right? Uh, and there's setbacks, there's ridicule from his friends, but yet he remains determined in his quest to find this great pumpkin. And so it shows us that there's this perseverance that comes uh, in the face of adversity and trials here for Linus. And his persistent belief in the great pumpkin, his refusal to give up, it, it helps inspire us, right? Like I get this as I watch this movie, like don't give up, press forward. You can, you're going to see what you're looking after, right? What you're longing for. And that's what we find in Linus, but yet that's what we're going to find in our text today that they're oftentimes what feel like setbacks. They're oftentimes trials. There's often adversity that we find in this life. And in the midst of those, as we continue to press forward, as we continue to place our trust and our faith in Jesus, we will see a reward. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we dive into the book of James for the first time uh, in the next five weeks. But good morning. Uh, my name is Hunter Upton. I'm one of the pastors here at our South Haven campus of Gitwell Church. Glad that you've joined us here uh, for worship this morning, especially if you're our guest today. We're glad that you were here. Now today, as I said, we are beginning a new message series over the next five weeks that we're going to be diving into the book of James. And we've titled this series, Living Faith. And what we want to look at with this book, because it's just a theme that James is writing about over and over again, is that uh, how do we put together, how do we put into practice what we confess and we believe? Because too often what we find is that a lot of people say a lot of words, but yet they don't, it doesn't match up with, with what they do, Right. And that's what James is concerned about. And so for us, we want to find that marriage together of our salvation and also our practice coming together to have a living faith as what Jesus had created us for in the beginning. So we hope to answer that question and many others uh, over the course of the next five weeks. So come back again next week and then the next four weeks. So sound good? Awesome. So before we jump into the text today, uh, we want to give some background to the book of James, to the letter here. Uh, so it sets us up for success. Now, James is five uh, pretty short chapters. It take you about 15, 16 minutes to read according to what kind of, how fast of a reader you are. Uh, it's believed that the letter of James is the first uh, of all of the letters and books of the New Testament to have been written. So even before the Gospels, uh, this is a letter that was here. And chapter one, verse one begins with this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, Greetings. Now, the first thing that we glean is very simple, is that it's written by James. Now, who is this James? Well, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Friends, he grew up with Jesus, and he was most likely Jesus' closest in age sibling. Uh, he grew up in the house with a perfect older brother, and my sister knows something about that. Um, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> 
Just kidding. So, uh, but Jesus was literally perfect, literally sinless, never did sin one day in his life. And so you can imagine that that probably created some very interesting family dynamics uh, in, in their household at times. And I think that James would have undoubtedly heard about the visit of the angel to Mary, right? Uh, I'm sure that they talked about that uh, event. I'm sure that he knew of uh, Joseph and Mary traveling down to Bethlehem and how that uh, in a way fulfilled uh, some of the messianic prophecies. I think that he knew of Jesus's immaculate conception, right, of, of the Holy Spirit uh, and Mary and of his birth. But here's the thing is that James didn't follow Jesus, not while, not while Jesus was here on this earth. He didn't believe in him for himself. And it's actually not until after Jesus is resurrected from the grave that James comes to faith in Jesus as his Messiah. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that during that time period between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension into heaven, that Jesus appeared to many people, but specifically Paul mentions that Jesus visits and appears with his brother, James. And so for James, it was finally this connection between seeing a perfect older brother live a perfect life day in and day out, but then also all of the connection of all those prophecies, all those tellings of what the Messiah would be, of how he died and was raised again, came together that helped him make that connection and make that jump into saying, yes, he is my savior. Now, as for who the letter was written to, uh, James was writing to those who were already Christians. These are, these are Jewish Christians uh, who have now have been spread amongst uh, the known world at the time. The persecution of, of those Jewish Christians in Jerusalem had already begun. Uh, and so we have to keep that in mind uh, because we've got to realize that this letter isn't so much written to those who don't believe for the purpose of doctrine or the purpose of uh, explaining kind of the way of salvation. Because uh, I think part of it is the church isn't old enough yet for them to start arguing about all of that. Uh, but it's that it's to give instruction and encouragement to those who have placed their faith in Jesus. So James isn't so interested in helping us understand the doctrine of salvation as much as he is wanting us to help to understand how to live out our salvation. How do we put it into practice? And so he begins his letter with a principle that we'd all be doing really good to understand and start to live out, and that's having a living faith in our trials and temptations. See, James knew that life wasn't going to be easy. He knew that it wasn't easy in any way. And it's definitely not a promise of those who follow Jesus that, you know, if you follow him, your life's going to be hunky-dory here on out, right? Uh, I have a feeling that many of us can attest to that. But James wants to give us a way that whenever we face trials, whenever we face temptations, uh, that we can have a living faith. So let's pick up. If you've got a Bible or device you read from, we're going to be in James chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 2, and we're going to read uh, a pretty good chunk. Uh, So just follow along uh, with me. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because... You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, 
You must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood that test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, <clears throat> that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So let's go back to the beginning there. He said that we're supposed to have joy in what? Let's look again at verses two through four. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, how many of you love it whenever you face a trial? Or maybe some kind of crazy circumstance that you find yourself in. Uh, I told my wife I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I saw this on Facebook the other day. It said, everyone loves a good pickle until you're in one, right? There you go. But, you know, do you consider it like a blissful thing? And this happened to me not long ago whenever you wake up and your cell phone didn't charge that night. And you go, ah. Or maybe, you, you know, you leave the house in a hurry and you leave your lunch there, but you're not going to have a chance to grab lunch at any other time during the workday. And you're like, oh, man. You know, do you ever stop and thank God that you got a flat tire? I don't know, I, you know, or maybe that you totally forgot about that exam. You know, but if you think about it, <clears throat> going deeper for some of you, you've had the experience of receiving some life-altering news from a doctor or maybe a spouse. <laughs> Are you joyful in that? Maybe you've received a phone call revealing that, you know, whatever we all is our worst case scenario, nightmare scenario, maybe you've received that kind of phone call. You know, I think about our lives and I think about even just the, the stories of those of us in this room and the stories that we could tell of some of the really hard things that have happened in our lives. And it seems overwhelming. Seems defeating, seems kind of like we, we just have downright bad luck, right? And while everybody's story includes moments like this, James is telling us that trials can be faced with joy. Trials can be faced with joy. And in those moments, I want you to hear James's words again. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many. Kinds. And I want you to just follow me here with this for a second. James understands that, that, that various trials, these trials of many kinds, there's something that we just fall into uh, in our lives. It's not that we necessarily invite them, okay? Uh, unless maybe you're 
odd. Um, But the Greek carries this idea of falling among trouble, okay? And the same word here is used of the story of the Good Samaritan, all right? Uh, He falls among robbers, right? Uh, And much of the time, we we just are kind of walking through life, and all of a sudden, we kind of stumble into these various trials, right? Uh, But what James is trying to tell us here is that it's not so much an if you go into these trials, but whenever you face these trials. You see, none of us are exempt. And I'm not sure about you, but what James is kind of saying here is consider it pure joy as I go like, that's not my first response whenever this happens. Uh, That's not my inclination. Uh, James, though, isn't telling us that we're supposed to have this kind of joy that's supposed to be fake, like, oh, yeah, just love that I got a flat tire today, right? Um, Love that I got that news. Uh, We're not supposed to get some kind of twisted pleasure from trials, uh, but he's telling us that there's a joy that comes from shifting our thinking about trials and temptations uh, as we experience them. And so you can make this shift in thinking when you realize that the trials that we have, these many trials, that they have a purpose in your life. They have a purpose in your life. They serve a purpose. Verse 3, so he says, consider it pure joy, right? Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Our trials aren't obstacles, but instead what James is trying to tell us is that they're opportunities They're not obstacles, they're opportunities. God uses them to produce something in us. They strengthen your faith because they cause you to lean on God. They cause you to lean on those around you instead of on yourself. And so in turn, what happens is as you press forward through that trial, uh, it produces perseverance in your life. And I think about it, it's kind of like working out. I've done it a few times. Uh, But the more that you do it, the more stamina that you have, and you're able to work out longer and endure it longer, right? Uh, That's what I'm told. And so trials serve a purpose. They help strengthen our faith. They serve this purpose of testing our faith, of strengthening our faith to produce that perseverance, that steadfastness. And friends, this one thing that this world is severely lacking in is steadfastness and perseverance in something that is true. And so what helps you press forward is knowing this, is that your perseverance has a goal. Verse 4, he tells us, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, the goal is maturity. It's this meaning that we, we're growing up into what we're supposed to grow up in, right? Like we all hope and pray that our children will mature at some point. And sometimes you pray that your spouse will as well. Uh, and so there's this maturity that we want to become. But also there's this completeness. It means that you're whole. You're, in, you're, you're all of what you're supposed to be. You're complete. You're, you're not lacking anything. You have everything that you need. You have everything that God has created you to be. But this is something that we press forward to. It's not just a passive thing that's just going to happen to us. The trials and the perseverance, they must finish their work, meaning that they've got to be seen through to the end so that you can reap the reward. What James is describing is this testing process. And he uses the word here uh, that is the Greek that's actually used to describe what the process of making sterling silver. 
All right, so as you take, you take that silver and you refine it, you purify it until what you come out on the other end is 100% genuine silver. And so the testing of our faith, uh, our perseverance to do a work in us, it transforms our dirty and dead state. It refines those impurities of sin that are in us and it renews us one step at a time, every single step, day by day, more and more into the one of who we're becoming, that is Jesus Christ. Friends, we're, we're, we are to mature into that of Jesus. God is doing a work in us. And so James tells us, consider it joy. Consider it joy. He's not saying be, be joyful necessarily in the fact that, that these trials are in and of themselves joyful, but that be joyful that it's a means to an end. Uh, we don't just have to grit our teeth and just endure it for something for endurance's sake, but, but there is joy that is found in knowing that God's going to take each turn of these trials as we, as we press into them, as we're steadfast in them, to bring out greatness and glory. And that's why we can look forward. That's why that we can, we can look to something that's to come on the other side of this as we persevere our trials with joy. Now, I understand and I feel it too that this command is not really an easy pill to swallow. You're like, man, uh, I would love some different words from Scripture, Hunter. And I go, I would too because I'm having to really learn and press into what I've had to learn this week because it has been quite a week, right? Um, we need wisdom. We need help to be able to do this. What I love is that our God, the God that we serve, the God who's supreme over all, Whenever he gives us command, he doesn't just leave us here to try to figure it out on our own. Instead, he's a God who desires to help us and embrace us and empower us to be able to live out this command. And so this is why James, he gives us guidance that, that we've got to ask for wisdom from God. And so here's the point here is that you need God's wisdom to make this shift in your thinking. I promise if you just try to be like, all right, I'm just going to consider it joy, it ain't going to go very far. That next trial that you hit, hmm. You're not going to make it very far. We need God's wisdom. Look at what he said in verse 5. James wrote, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom in seeing this process that's taking place as something to be embraced, you should ask God. Like I mentioned earlier, joy isn't natural to us whenever we, we come up into some trying circumstance. Uh, and for some of us, it seems like we kind of get hit from all sides at one time, right? Uh, with trials. And it seems like, man, I'm not sure it's ever going to let up. And, and sometimes it can be really easy for us to begin to think that God must be against us, right? Friends, I pray that this morning that the Holy Spirit is at work in this room, that he's at work in your heart and in your mind right now, that if you feel that way, that you will hear the words of hope and love of our God who loves you so much that he is not against you. Instead, it's the opposite. He is so for you, and he wants to renew you and change you and bring something about in you. God's word is clear about the love that he has for his children. We have a good and a powerful and an almighty God who won't withhold his God-given wisdom for you if you humbly are humble enough to ask him for that help. We need his help to understand and, and be able to see those moments in the very midst of them. 
that he's working out something good, that we can press in, that God is using it. And in the verses that follow verse five there, what we find is that James warns us to have about doubting when we ask. Uh, he uses very vivid imagery to talk about this wishy-washiness that, that oftentimes we have. But if you ask, plant yourself in beside what you've asked. Plant yourself there. Say, God, you have said it. You should never doubt that God will make good on the promises that he's given us in his scripture. Don't ever doubt it. He is that kind of God. He will pull through. But we need wisdom. We need wisdom to, to see that our perseverance isn't found in reliance on ourselves, but it's on God alone. And James gives this warning to us in, in verses 9 through 11, where he speaks of it in, verse, in terms of those who are rich and those who are poor. And here's the thing. I, I wrestled with this trying to figure out what is he trying to tell us here? Because it seemed like it was just kind of out of place. But what he's saying is that the poor have nothing to rely on besides God. They don't have things. They have to rely on the hand of God working in their lives. And what an advantage that is. But on the flip side, there's a danger for those who are rich. Because oftentimes what happens is we fall prey to trusting into our possessions and our positions rather than on God. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here um, and assert that we all, that all of us in this room probably actually have that struggle. Because for any of us, I, I have a feeling, once again, going on a limb here, but I feel like if we need something, we could probably just go buy it. Uh, you probably have a roof over your head. You probably have all the things. Sure, there's some bumps along the way, but for the most part, we could probably figure out how to smooth them over, right? Woe to us. Woe to us that we would trust in the fact that we can take care of everything on our own. We have to rely on God. He alone is the one where our help comes from. James is warning us that our possessions and our positions are just false security. That at any point in time, all of it could be taken away from us. Think about our friend Job that we find in the Old Testament. So whether you're rich or not, what, what James is asking of us is to honestly evaluate where we're we placing our trust. I want to take it this, this step here, is that whenever we, we hit that bump in the road of life, whenever you receive that life-altering news, what's your response? Are you moving toward or away from God whenever a trial or temptation hits? Are you, are you, are you stepping into a relationship with God? Are you stepping into trusting him? Or are you going playing the victim and going, well, it's just one more thing. It's something to really wrestle with, isn't it? Because what it does is it helps us go, what do I believe about God here? It really makes us wrestle with that, is that you either believe that he's for you or you believe that he's against you. And friends, scripture is peppered with reminders that God is for us. Psalm 56, Psalm 118, Ezekiel 36, Romans 8. It's all over the place that our God is for us. And so how would it change the way that you face trials, that you face temptations, if you had the wisdom of God to help you understand that, that you can persevere through the trial because God has a purpose for his glory and your good through it? What would it look like for us to, to build a foundation, to build a history, to build a legacy that leans on God instead of ourselves whenever those trials come? 
when you've prepared, when you've allowed the Spirit of God to do that work in your heart, in your mind, to shift your thinking to the right order of things, here's the thing is that you can move forward. You can move forward because you know the end. You know the end. You can step forward into the trial because you know that it will be used, that it's got this purpose. And you know that your faithful perseverance it has a goal. It's that God is working in you, that maturity, that completeness, that not lacking anything, right? And that we become more like our Savior. And that is what we honestly long for and desire. Have you ever been excited about maybe a project that you were going to start? We're, I'm a big DIYer. I love doing little projects around the house, and sometimes they're not so little, but I love kind of uh, just that, that moment at the beginning where you're going, oh, this is going to be wonderful. It's going to be beautiful whenever it's done. Just excited about it. Uh, you know, you go through that dreaming phase. Uh, it's probably the moment that I'm most excited, and then I start the project. The demo usually doesn't go too bad. It's, it's usually fine. And so then there's a trip to Lowe's. And then in the middle of one of the tasks, usually there's another trip to Lowe's. And then there's usually a setback or two. And then uh, at some point, a distraction or three. And then another trip or 12 to Lowe's. And at some point, that excitement that I had at the very beginning is now gone. And I'm like, we just got to get through to the end of this, right? And you feel like it's never going to end. But then I remember, I remember that, each moment that I press forward is one step closer to being done, one step closer to enjoying the thing that I set out to do, right? And I push forward and eventually I get to reap the reward of that perseverance that I had. And a lot like what I experienced with those DIY projects that we have, we, we will all face trials. We have to remember where we're headed. And I must say, we have got to remember that even in the middle of the most difficult trial that there's hope. Because here's the thing is that every trial will come to an end. Literally, it will come to an end, whether it happens in your lifetime or as soon as you're gone and you're with Jesus, all right? That trial is going to end. Look at what verse 12 tells us, James. He says, blessed, 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 blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed, happy. This is the word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes there in Matthew chapter 5. It refers to someone that, that God has supremely blessed by giving something that only God can give to them. And James is telling us that when we persevere, when we choose to stand the test, that we receive something that our human hearts have ultimately been longing for forever, and that is the crown of life. Doesn't that just give you hope? Doesn't that just help you face those trials? I mean, it sure does me that the, this trial is going to end one day and there's something on the other side. The reward will be delivered to those who stand firm on the promises of God. No matter when that trial ends, God will get that final word. And that's something that we can hold on to. That's something that we can rest in. But that's not to say that it's going to be easy. It's not to say that it's going to be easy to endure and to press forward into God. Because you see, with every trial, here's the thing is that it carries the, the um, a temptation for us to fall into sin. It's not that the trial itself does, but it's that, that we're humans. Uh, that, that oftentimes, that sometimes God allows uh, trials to happen or, or even brings some trials, but God is never the author of temptation in us. James is very clear of that in verse 13. Our willingness to fall into temptation is brought on by the trial is only found within ourselves. 
It's that sinful nature in us. It's that inclination that we have that we need God to work in us and do something about. And so we have to change the way that we think because here's the thing is that sin will give birth to death, but God gives birth to new life. He's not the one who is the one who brings the temptation. He's not the one who's making you sin. But whenever we do face those trials, where are we looking? What are we stepping toward? Knowing the end helps you make it through, right? Knowing the end helps you choose not to give into that temptation, but instead to step into what God is desiring through that. It helps you to be faithful. And think about what it's like whenever you have a vacation coming up. You're like, I've got five more days, right? I feel like we all can feel that right now. Uh, that's not exactly what we're talking about here with this example. So how about this one? Say you enroll in college or maybe a certificate program and you know kind of the course of action that it's going to have. You're, you're working toward that degree, that day that you're going to walk across that stage, right? To receive that diploma, you worked really hard to get it. You passed all the tests to get there, right? That's something you look forward to. You know the end and you know that it's coming. And we may not always know when the end is coming, but we do know that it will come. It will come. And so we don't have to fall into temptation of sin when we go through trials. There's something glorious for us to look forward to on the other side, and that's the crown of life that he's promised us. And friends, we have a good God, a good God with whom nothing is wasted in our lives. Nothing is purposeless in our lives. And he can't help but give good gifts. James is very clear about that. It's just, it's his nature. It's who he is. And scripture is clear that, that he is above all things and that nothing is out of his view, nothing is out of his reach. See, our God is a sovereign and a good God. And so having a sovereign and good God means that you can trust him. You can trust him. And I've talked about this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's something that I continue to learn each and every day is that trust is an action. It's an action. We, your words aren't good enough. We all know plenty of people whose words and actions don't line up with one another. But trust is an act of faith. It is something that you do. You have to make a choice to trust him with your life and your trials. And we can trust him with it all because he is working all things out for his glory and our good, even if we don't know all the steps between now and then. Paul tells us in Philippians 1.6 that we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, that's a promise. That's a promise. And so in just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. So I want to encourage you just to spend some moments in prayer, talking to God, asking him to help you trust him more. Life isn't going to be easy. It's going to include trials along the way. And we're going to encounter this along the way. But how do you respond? How are you going to respond to those? So I want to encourage you to move toward him. I want you to encourage you to move forward with him, persevering, standing strong to the end. I want you to be like Linus, and it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. I want you to, that even when everyone else around you thinks that you're crazy, I want you to put your eggs in that basket because it will pass and he is good and there will be a reward, a crown of life for us on the other side. 
And so if you've been walking with the Lord for, for a length of time and, and you've seen this power, this, this glory and, and moving forward with him through trials, why don't you just thank God for that? Say, thank you, Lord. I want you to ask him to give you more wisdom to face whatever trials of life may come. I want you to ask him for wisdom to strengthen your faith, wisdom to persevere. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been trusting God and, and maybe though, but you feel right now that, that you're kind of in a season where you haven't trusted him. Maybe you've failed to stand him in those trials. You feel like those trials are more of an avalanche than anything else in your life and you've succumbed to that temptation. And maybe even you think that there's no way that God could forgive you for that. But I want you to know this. I want you to take heart in a sovereign and good God that we have who's full of grace and full of mercy, who, who gives us forgiveness despite what we deserve. So I want to ask you this morning to just ask him, God, would you meet me here? Would you meet me here? Would you meet me in the midst of this, Lord, where I feel helpless? Lord, would you help me to fill you with me? Would you help me to trust you? Would you help me to, to hang on to you instead of myself? Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in God before. I want to invite you along for a wild journey. It's a fun one. God is so good and he wants to do something in you and through you. And if today's the day that you feel God moving in your heart to say, you know what, I want to give my life to Jesus. Let's do that today. Let's not wait. Let's let him take us on an adventure that in the midst of the trials and temptations of life, at least you know that it's going to have a purpose on the other side. Something to look forward to. Come experience the forgiveness and the freedom of life that's found in Jesus and his way of living life. So if you'll stand, I'm going to pray for us this morning. And I want to invite you to pray. You can pray where you're at. You can pray down here at the prayer rails. Life is not easy. But God is good. And God is working. And God is able. Let's place our faith in him. Let's let him take our salvation and do something with it. Let it be a witness to those around us as we love Jesus with all of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, those words written so long ago are written to us today, Lord, and how powerful they are to us. God, I pray that you would strengthen us today, our faith in you. Lord, life is not easy. Sometimes we just want to throw our hands up. Sometimes we just want to give up. But God, I pray that you would change our thinking, that you would change our heart, Lord, that you would help us to see things as you see them, Lord. And Lord, that ultimately we would just have an act of worship as we trust you with our lives, even the moments of our trials. Lord, help us to stay focused on you, our eyes fixed on you. Help us to have joy, Lord, because we know that something is coming that's greater than this world can give us. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit at work now in this place and in our hearts. And we pray that you would bring us to maturity, that you would bring us to completion. And Lord, that we would see that we lack nothing. Help us to stand. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.